Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Romans, verses 4 through 8, or chapter 12, verses 4 through 8. For by grace given me, I say to you, every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each one of you. For just as each of us has one body, or just as each of us, one body with many members, and those members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many, or we, ah, Jim Lee was supposed to do the reading, sorry. Verse 5. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encouraging, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. The word of the Lord. Lord God, once again, we thank you for meeting us here at this place. We pray that you would open our ears to hear from you. That you would open our hearts to receive what you have for us today. And that you would, you would just open uh, our spirits so that we could just hear words of love and encouragement and the good news of the gospel this morning. Lord God, we give this time to you knowing that your Holy Spirit is here and that you are alive and you are active in this place. In Jesus' mighty and powerful name, amen. When asked what the greatest commandment in all the law was, this is Jesus' reply. He says it in Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So this, or today we enter into the last Sunday of our sermon series called The Art of Neighboring. Uh, It's it's kind of loosely based around a book with the same title. So if you Google search The Art of Neighboring and you come up with stuff, that doesn't mean I'm plagiarizing uh, up front. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, uh, when stuff sounds like it's too smart to come from me, then it probably doesn't come from me. And hopefully it's coming from God. And sometimes it comes from other uh, Christian authors. But uh, again, The Art of Neighboring, and it asks this question of us. What if, when Jesus said that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves, what if we weren't supposed to receive that and take that as a theological kind of big picture question? We weren't just supposed to receive that and say, yeah, I know my neighbor, and and I know the Good Samaritan story, and everyone's my neighbor, and I'm, I'm just supposed to love everyone. What if Jesus also meant that you're supposed to actually love the people that live right next door to you? the people that live across the street from you, the people that live right in your own vicinity around your house. And what if, in that, 
Jesus wasn't just saying that, that that would be nice. But what if he was actually saying that that would change the world? That if Christians, if, if his people were to love those that God has already put around them, in the closest vicinity around them, what if they, what if they reached out with the love of God to these people? And what if that in itself would actually change the world around them? Jesus isn't just throwing on the second half of the greatest commandment for no reason. He says, first, love God. But then he throws this in there. He says, love your neighbors as yourself. And as you do, this will fulfill all of the laws and all of the prophets, meaning the Old Testament. This will fulfill Scripture, is if you love your neighbors and if you love God. So again, we're trying to diving into this question of what does that mean to love people that are, that are actually close to us? Often we, uh, if, we're, if we're honest, we might not even know their names all the time. We might not know anything about them. We might know that they have some stickers on the back of their car. And because of what the sticker looks like of the little boy, I think he might be in karate. Because he's got like the little karate suit on on his sticker. And the girl might like tennis. But other than that, I don't even know who these people are. So what does it mean that, that we get engaged uh, with these other people? Have you ever been in one of those relationships where it's been totally one-sided? Whether it's a friendship or something else, but, it, but you just give and you give and you give and the other person just receives and receives and receives and, and that's, that's really as deep as the relationship goes. I don't think I need to raise hands. I think we've all had those relationships through time where you feel like you just give of yourself and you give of your time and you give sometimes of your money and your, your efforts and your energy and the other person just receives. But what happens to the relationship? How deep does it really go? It, it bottoms out pretty quickly, doesn't it? And maybe, maybe it can last for years. That's not really what I'm talking about. But, but the depth of the relationship just kind of ends because... There's this real genuine relationship that happens, not, not only when we give, but also when we're able to receive in the same relationship, when, when it just goes back and forth and, and you can love them and they can love you and, and you can borrow your, I was going to say lawnmower. Uh, sorry, that's my Midwestern mind. You can borrow your chainsaw to them. There you go. Contextualization. You can borrow your chainsaw to them and, and then... And then they can borrow something else from you, and, and it just works back and forth. And, and pretty soon, uh, the relationship actually digs deeper. Or maybe, maybe you've had the opposite. Maybe you've been a person that's been in need. Maybe you've had a lot going on in your life. You've gone through a hard time. You've gone through a time of sadness, a time of sorrow. And people have come around you, people that you didn't know. Maybe were even that close of friends, and some of them uh, really weren't. And they were able to serve you. They were able to help you. They they provided meals for you. They prayed for you. They did everything. But it, when you tried to return the favor, they said, oh, no, 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 I don't, I don't need it from you. you, you it's, like, it's like they want to give, but then when it comes to receiving, it's like, no, no, I couldn't possibly uh, take something from you. In, in, the, in the book for this chapter, uh, it's called The Art of Receiving, and and the author tells this story of this young uh, single mother that lived next door to them. And, and they had a, a, a family. They had multiple teenage boys. So they would send the boys over and they'd mow the lawn. And they would take care of stuff. And they would, they would help out. And they'd, they'd babysit for the mom, especially when she would go off to work. 
And, and the couple, they were out in the yard, and they were adding mulch down around a tree, and they came up one bag short. And it just so happened that the mother that lived right next door happened to be walking past, and, and she got to talking with them and said, yeah, we've come up one bag short on, on our red mulch around this tree. And, and she said, oh, you know, I'll help you out. I have, a, I have a bag in my garage. And the couple said, no, 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 we, it's okay. We, we can run to the hardware store. We can get it. It's no problem. And she just insisted and insisted. And actually was kind of getting almost, almost angry in her insisting, no, no, please take this. Please take this bag that I have, and they're trying to be aware, and they're trying to be cautious, and they know that her budget is tight, and that every last bag of mulch is, is fit into uh, the budget for the month, and, and they're just saying, no, 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 and she's saying, please just take it, and eventually it clicked to them what was going on, that, that she had been receiving from them, and, and felt the love of receiving it, but, but also felt this lack that, that she wasn't able to give back. And I think of how many of us have lived those kind of relationships with our neighbors on one extreme or the other. One extreme where either, either we give and we give and we give or, or we have need and we receive and we receive. But really the relationship just ends right there. And it wasn't until they let her give them the bag of mulch that the relationship actually grew deeper. They started talking about real things going on in life. They started talking about hopes and dreams why? Because the depth was there. Because there's an art to giving, certainly, but I think we're pretty comfortable with that. But what makes us uncomfortable often is the art of receiving. Now, as often happens, I, I, try, to, I try to pray during the week that God would give me opportunities to live out uh, the sermon that, that I'm preparing, the sermon that I'm about to preach. Sometimes that can be a dangerous prayer. Uh, but this week, it worked out perfectly. So we had this camping trip planned as a family for Friday night. Uh, we were going to go up to uh, Utica Reservoir. Uh, if you've never been, please do. It's lovely. Uh, and, and we're going to do some camping on the shoreline. So I've done this uh, in Minnesota. I haven't done it out here. But we're going to load up everything into our kayaks and stuff, and we're going to go out uh, as far as we can. And you're allowed to camp along the shore there, and it's, it's beautiful and it's gorgeous. But I got to thinking during the week, you know what would be a lot easier if instead of our little kid kayaks and my kayak and Susan has a paddleboard, instead of all this stuff, if we just had a canoe. I'm used to doing this with a canoe. This is, this is kind of how we would do longer trips uh, back in northern Minnesota. And, and it just happened that the next day, we're talking to the neighbor. He's out walking his brand new puppy. And I mean brand new like that day. So this thing's gorgeous. And it attracts people. So it attracted us. And he's showing us this new dog. And he, and he makes one of those comments, hey, if you ever need it, we have two canoes and paddles in the garage. And we'd love to let you use them. So if you ever need it, and, and like probably most of you, my, my initial thought in my head was, oh, thank you. you know, and then I would never take him up on it. You know, my initial thought was to thank him for the offer. And then probably just never do it. Because we can get by with what we have. I mean, we have stuff that floats, so it's fine. But then it occurred to me, I've been praying to live this out, right? So, so we went over uh, on Friday and he said, oh yeah, it's right up here. It's like in the rafters of his garage and we bring it down. This thing's massive, uh, which is great when you're carrying stuff. You walk it right over the house. You know, he's right, 
right near, down the street, so just walking down the street with a canoe. Uh, looks normal in Arnold. Uh, and, and we go out, and I tell you what, it was just, it made the trip so much easier. Just to accept this gift from them, I mean, just the gift of, of borrowing something. Just, it made the trip more pleasant. Uh, our oldest son, William, is, uh, he still has probably about a week left with his sling. I don't know if you've seen him up here, but, but he broke his arm uh, a number of weeks ago. So uh, he's just got a sling on, so he can't paddle at all. So, so it's me and our first grader, Levi, in the canoe paddling. Uh, Susan has, has her paddle board out there with, with William sitting on the nose of it. But it would have been hard with the kayaks. So um, there's a major step that happens there when, when we actually kind of humble ourselves. When we realize that we couldn't possibly know everything, have everything, have every skill, have every, have every canoe, have every uh, chainsaw, have everything to do what is needed in this world, we're not necessarily designed or meant to be self-sufficient in that way. We are made initially, right in the beginning of creation, we're made to be people in community. And that community extends beyond our church community. We're made to be people that live in community with one another. People that lean on each other and other people lean on them. And, and while this happens, while we live into this, we will grow deeper with one another. So, so I encourage you to just be thinking about opportunities not just to practice the art of giving, but opportunities to practice the art of receiving and receiving well and, and being able to, to not just thank them for the kind of what feels like maybe a blanket offer to say, uh, hey, whenever you want to use a canoe, just let us know. Uh, and my initial mind goes, I'm not going to knock on your door and, and ask you to borrow something. Like it just, this is, I don't know, this is not how I was raised. You know, it just feels weird. Uh, but, but there's real relationship that happens there. But also, if we're honest, it can be really challenging. So for the rest of this time, I'm going to just talk about some of the challenges. And this often happens with me. I'm, I'm sure it happens with you. You read passages of Scripture or you read uh, a book like this Art of Neighboring one by this other pastor. And, and there's just little pieces that, uh, that sit weird with you or, or that, that kind of hit you in a strange way, and it causes me not, not to think about the passage or judge that, but it causes me to look inward. Why, why is that hard? What is going on inside of me? Why, why does that sound so difficult? Why is it so easy to give the single mom next door, the, to mow her lawn, to take care of her, to watch the kids, and why is it so hard to take the bag of mulch? Why does that hit in a way that, that feels hollow inside? Now, the rest of this sermon, I'm going to say some words that uh, are, they're not bad words, but they're words that we don't like to hear. Words like humility. Words like uh, maybe arrogance. Words like Vulnerability. See, in order for us to grow into genuine relationships with others, we need to be people of humility. We need to be people that can humble ourselves and when somebody offers something, actually be able to take it, even though that feels so hard. 
Why is it so hard for us to admit that we're in need? Why is it so hard for us to admit that, that other people could possibly have something that we don't have and it could be a real blessing to us? You know, it's one thing to, to accept the canoe when it's offered. It's not the thing entirely to have, to have front steps on the front of your house that are falling apart, to have it be on the, the honey-do list for two years, to not know really what to do with it, to look across the street and see that your neighbor has brand new, really nice front steps that he put in himself. And what if we humbled ourselves enough to walk over there and strike up a conversation about his new steps? And what if when he said, oh, I could give you a hand with yours, it it would take no more than half an hour. I'd, I'd love to help you out. What if we accepted that? Why is it that our that our own lack of humbleness is causing us to push back against relationships with other people. To push back against what Jesus calls us to do. Love your neighbors. Get to know them. Get, build relationships. Doesn't this matter more than this feeling inside? Doesn't this matter more than, than this feeling that, uh, that we can't possibly admit that we are in need, that we are also just other fallen human beings in, in a hurting world. Romans 12, 3 through 8. For by grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each one of you. So here, a clear call in Scripture that we are called to be humble people. That we are called to be people of humility. So please don't let that be the thing that hangs you up. And maybe it's not. Maybe when you examine yourself, maybe you're like, I don't think that's it. There's there's something else, but I don't think it's quite uh, the humility piece. Maybe, Maybe it's the second one. Maybe you don't want to impose on others. Maybe you were taught... Uh, your whole life, even, even from an early age, even when you were little, you were taught that you should never be in someone else's debt. That, that if you borrow the bag of mulch, that, that the next day you'll have to run to the store and leave a bag of mulch on their front step. That, that you can't let them feel like, like they have one up on you. And what is that inside? What is that going on? And is that what we are called to be, how we are called to love each other, how we are called to be neighbors. Perhaps we don't like to depend on others. We don't want to to feel like they have the upper hand on us. But a, a core part of the Christian message, a core part of the good news of the gospel is to recognize that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. That when it comes to the the purest part of who we are, that we can't be enough. That we can never accomplish enough. We can never be so skilled. We can never have so much knowledge that we can save ourselves. So at its very core, the gospel requires a level of humbleness. A level of stepping before God and saying, God, we are sinners We stand in constant need of your mercy, in constant need of your grace. 
I knew someone in my life once, and you're all going to probably chuckle, but they were serious, that said to me, I know no one can be perfect, but if anyone can, I think I'm the closest that someone could be. And they were serious. Somebody I knew well. I'll go beyond. Somebody who was a relative of mine. Somebody I knew really, I knew well enough to know how wrong it was. But what is that inside? Because sometimes we walk around like, like we think that. We don't say it out loud because we know how arrogant that would sound. But we can think it inside. We, we can walk around at Walmart like that's the case. We can go to the post office and we can feel like that's the case. We can go to White Pines Park and we can feel that, that we are as close as we can possibly get to being perfect. And look at all these other people. Can't even pick up their trash. Now I got to come here and clean it up. Good thing they got me. Right? Good thing they got us because we got a lot going on. But we can live that way, right? We can live that way with our neighbors. We can live that way with people God has called us to love. Galatians 6.3 For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. How does that one sit with you? For if anyone thinks that they are something, when they are nothing, they are deceiving themselves. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no competition, folks. There is no rating system. No one is looking around your neighborhood and, and saying, I give this person an aid. And, oh, oh, this person, they, they go to church on Sunday. They're so nice. I'll, I'll, out of out of realm of humanity, they're a 9 out of 10. They're great. And then this person over there, they're not that great. No one is doing that. No one is rating how this is all going. The only difference you make is the difference you make in relationships with other people. Not showing how great you are. Point number three, maybe this is where it hits not humility, not imposing on others, but maybe it's just the vulnerability. And I think this is often true if we've been hurt in our lives, and we've all been hurt to some extent. The vulnerable feeling it takes to admit that we are also someone in need, in front of somebody that might have something, that might have an ability. What if they look down upon me? What if they look down upon my own situation? And this is where it takes courage. Jesus never once said that following him was going to be easy. That doing what he commanded was going to be simple. That living this kind of life was going to be uh, some easy, smooth sail. And actually, he promised the opposite. He said, if you become my disciple and you follow after me, it will be hard. You'll be asked to do hard things. And it's not just that you're going to receive persecution. That, that's a big word, right? It's not just those kind of things. It's that I'm going to ask things of you. Jesus is going to ask things of you that are hard. Is it easy to walk over to your neighbor's house and be vulnerable? And, and to admit, hey, I know you told me 10 times what your name is. And I know we lived next to each other for 15 years. But, but I don't remember it. 
Could you tell me once again? I'll try to remember. I'm going to write it down at home. I just, I just want to know you better. That sounds terrible, doesn't it? That sounds really hard. But really hard is okay. Really hard is really okay if you're doing what's in God's will. And you're able to pray beforehand and you'd say, God, this makes me uncomfortable. Holy Spirit, please come with me. Give me words because I'm going to stumble on this. Give me words to speak that just that let me just show my heart to my neighbor that they won't just judge me immediately and think, oh, what a fool that person is. They don't even remember my name. I've known their name for 10 years. God, give us courage. Give us a willingness to step that far outside of our comfort zone, even when it's close to our own homes. I'll end with this. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2. Kind of compares and contrasts two things. One is pride. And what it says here is the opposite of pride is wisdom. Pride and wisdom. It says when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. You see, the art of receiving, it's not that complicated. I don't need to come up here and and explain in great detail how you receive gifts from other people, how, how you accept offers that they give you. It comes down to being aware enough of your own needs, opening your eyes to the gifts and the abilities of the people around you, and being vulnerable enough to receive those gifts. Most people out there are willing to help you out. I really believe that, especially in like communities like ours. People would love to help up their neighbors. And after all, you couldn't possibly possess everything. You couldn't possibly have every skill. You couldn't possibly have every tool that you need for every, every project that you're ever doing. So we are called to acknowledge our needs and to start noticing when people around us might be willing to help us. Why? Because we're called to love them. And we can't love them if we have shallow relationships. And we can't love them if we're always the one giving or if we're always the one receiving and it's not going back and forth. We can't love them well. So for the sake of loving them well, we are called to do hard things. So this is the end of this sermon series, but, but I will leave you uh, with this. The art of neighboring is, is way more about opening your eyes to the people that live near you than it is some kind of plan of uh, church growth or uh, one of those kind of models. It's about saying, Jesus, you commanded us to live a certain way in the world and we're your followers and, and we want to do it and we believe that you have our best intentions at heart. We believe that what you're doing is, is intentional, that when you tell us to love our neighbors, you're, you're not really just asking. You're saying, this is how to follow me. And, and I think as a church, I think we can do it really well. And I think in a community like this, where there's only a few churches. There's only us, in a sense. Us, you know, big trees. There's, there's the one behind Bistro. I forget what it's called. 
Anyone help me? Oak Circle, thank you. I didn't want to like leave them as the one behind Bistro. Oak Circle, there's big trees, there's us. If the, if the three of us don't make an impact in this community, then who are we waiting on? That, that's it. Not, I've, I've read a lot on, on kind of church plans and models for, uh, for vision for a church, and, and this one quote has stuck with me, and I will end with this. This one quote has stuck with me, and it says this. A lot of churches sit down and they try to decipher what God's plan is for their church. What they fail to realize is that their church is God's plan for their community. Churches don't just randomly get put places. God does that. And God does it because he knew that there was a need. He knew that there was a need in this place, and he said, I have a solution for that need, and my solution will be a church, not not a building, a people, that will be called Chapel on the Pines. And those people will be the answer. So, So as we try to decipher who we are, what we're supposed to be, what we're called to be, often, again, we we try to think, what is God's plan for us? And we fail to realize that we are God's plan for this community.